Welcome back to the HMA Interview Podcast. We are excited to have multiple-time NCAA All-American and senior world silver medalist Adam Kuhn join us today for the 48th interview of the podcast. Before we roll the episode, let me fill you in on the latest at HMA Wrestling. First and foremost, we are very, very close to finishing up our next merchandise order, and we'll put the gear up on our site once we get it in. Also, our brand new Rockfin page is looking super clean, and we'd love it if you go check it out over at rockfin.com slash HMAWrestling. Our content is completely free. All you have to do is create a free account on Rockfin. All right, enough from me. Let's turn it over to Adam Kuhn. And we are back. Adam Kuhn. How are you doing, man? Doing good. You know, trying to figure out uh, all the training stuff for quarantine, but, you know, still doing good and figuring it out. <laughs> yeah? Where, where are you right now? So I'm actually at uh, my apartment. Uh, it's in Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is right next to Ann Arbor. Still training with the – well, not currently training with the guys, but, um, you know, still in Ann Arbor ready to train once U of M opens this thing back up again. Hmm. So, so how long has it been since you've been on the mat? So we find, we find ways around it. Um, so I've, I've been, I was on the mat yesterday, um, working out with, working out with a couple of guys that are around my weight and, um, you know, we figure it out, but, uh, um, it's not like the full blown, you know, beat down type workouts that we're used to right around this time, just because we just don't have the facility to host that type of thing yet. Um, so, you know, we're making it work, but at the same time, we're, really excited to hopefully get back on an actual mat and get back to regular workouts again (laughs) yeah how long has it been since uh since the the wrestling club has been shut down so we so last time that i competed would be um that first weekend in or the second weekend in march Mm, and then yep ottawa and then right after that everything shut down and we couldn't get into the wrestling room we basically were told I came back from Canada. I got back and within two days was told, Hey, get your stuff. Uh, you know, your workout clothes, your workout gear, anything and Bana cause we're shutting it completely down. Um, get your stuff, get it out of here. If you're going to use it, if not, then, you know, just know you're not gonna be able to get in. I took away our card access and everything. So there wasn't even availability, wow. availability to sneak in. <laughs> so you were in Ottawa and, uh, you know, um, there was like a lot of whispers around like coronavirus. No one really knew what was going on. Um, and I remember hearing that like basically that tournament, they're like, Hey, you, you may or may not wrestle. Right. Like it was that, it was that whatever that overnight, basically it went from, you know, just this huge spike up and everyone got panicked. Um, what did you think about, you know, COVID-19 going into the event? What did you think about it going, coming out of it? Did you really think it was going to you know, affect your life and affect your training at all? So back in, shoot, when was it? I think it was December. Mm. December, we were over in, we were overseas and we were doing a training camp out there in um, Norway and, or excuse me, Denmark, Denmark. Um, we were out there training with a bunch of guys and I remember watching the, uh, the news media and clearly see covid um, so we were asking around and asking what was going on and saying that there's, oh, there's some people that are starting to worry in Europe that it might be coming over here. And so at that point I was kind of aware that, okay, COVID's really spreading and starting to get into Europe area. So I was like, ah, it might head over to the United States and, you know, North America, but I don't know if it's really going to be that big of a thing. They'll probably have a handle on it by then. And then we skip forward to, um, end of February and we start hearing that 
you know, there's a couple rare cases here or there where like, uh, we should probably have a handle on it by then. So I wasn't, wasn't thinking about it too much. And then we get over into Canada and uh, most of the Greco guys competed both weekends. That would be for the, um, the championships as well as the Olympic Games qualifier. So we were there for the first weekend, no problem, wrestled right through it. And then about midway through, so this would be about Wednesday or so, uh, we're competing on Friday. That's when we start getting word of, hey, they just shut down a bunch of schools. Hey, they're shutting down this. Um, there's talks of shutting down the border. And of course, mm. we're on the other side of the border going, are right. we going to get home? <laughs> <laughs> so we had just a lot of questions going on and we had a big team meeting and just like, hey guys, there's stuff going on back home, but as of right now, we're still going to run the tournament. So you need to be focused on, you know, making yeah. the finals of this tournament. You, you have a job to do. This is the stuff you need to work on or it's stuff you need to focus on to make sure that you make the most of this opportunity. Be ready to compete, but also at the same time, there is a chance where we might not compete and we might just ship home. So be ready for either way, but you know, lean on the side of we're competing because it's better to lean on that side than right. the other way. Obviously not be ready at all. That's really right. interesting because I, um, I've told this story multiple times on the, on the podcast, but uh, I was competing at my state tournament, you know, so I, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in the PIAA state tournament. Um, and, you know, I, I competed Saturday, came home Saturday night, Sunday, I took a day off Monday. I was back at practice. Uh, and then the fall by the following Monday, everything's done. Everything's closed. And it was, it was insane because there was so much buildup for the state tournament. You know, it was a long season and you're, you know, you're building up and, and peaking and then, you know, it releases, you're like, Oh, I can get back to the, the postseason and, you know, focus on freestyle and Fargo and, and, you know, getting a little bit of rest and Nope, it's just all gone. Everything's gone. They're like, but here, the thing it was in, um, in Pennsylvania, at least to my understanding, it was only going to be two weeks. It was only going to be like two week hiatus. You know, and I was like, excellent. This is God's way of telling me like, Jude, take a break, take a break. Uh, and so, nope. nope. And then they added on another two weeks and then another three weeks. And then next thing you know, it's a two month long, we're stuck inside and it was crazy. But yeah, uh, we had this, we had the same junk going over here in Michigan. Just the, mm -hmm. they were telling us, Hey, we're going to you know start shutting things down for a couple weeks and then we'll start picking it back up. Right. And then of course the messages start flying of, Hey, there's talks. They're going to shut down everything. Like, no, there's no way they're going to shut down everything. Yep, they shut down everything. And, and it's interesting how, like, how, like, as it was happening, it was, like, it didn't seem as absurd. Like, it was, like, little tiny steps. Like, it wasn't, like, I don't know. For example, if someone had told me last March, if they said, Jude, a year's time, you're going to be stuck inside. You're not allowed to go to the store, go to wrestling practice, nothing. You're going to be, you know, locked in. I would have thought you were crazy. I would have been like, what the heck? How are they going to, how, how is, you know, our local government just going to be able to, you know, take it all away from us just like that? I was very, you know, it, it that would have been crazy to me. But like in the moment, you're like, okay, we, we're, we're wearing masks now, you know, okay, now we're, now we got to stand six feet apart. Okay, now I guess, you know, a lot of restaurants are closing down and okay, okay. And you're just taking all these little steps. The next thing you know, you know, full on quarantine, which yep. was, was wild, man. It's crazy. And, you know, in your own opinion, Adam, do you think, uh, you know, where do you think we, we are on this, this COVID-19 thing? Where do you think wrestling is? Do you think we're going to have an NCAA season? You know, the, the, the whole shebang. Oh boy. That's, it's just so tough to tell. Cause right. I thought, um, 
you know, shoot, I thought it a month ago, just by what we're getting from news reports in Michigan and all that stuff that we were on the way out. And then you start hearing cases, uh, you know, the increased cases and all these other different things going on. It's tough. It's tough to know. Um, I think as long as everybody's smart about it, uh, that's, that's the only way we're going to get out of it. Um, now I, I'm, I've really played that line of, of, you know, all, all it is, is there's a lot of people that are taking it way too far mm-hmm. based off and just reacting to fear. And, but there's also people that are reacting just to stupidity saying, how dare you force me to do something? Yada, yada, yada. There's just that middle ground of be smart, but at the same time, we don't need to, you know, take these, these risks as we're opening things up, you know? Um, I don't know. I just think people, people just need to get smart about it. Um, you know, wear the mask, be six feet apart. Um, but at the same time, I still think we can start bringing back contact as long as we're doing it smart. We're getting people tested. You know, I know there's cases where they were asymptomatic and, you know, there's ways to combat that, all that stuff. It's just, it's just tough to figure out because, you know, people are going to do what people want to do. Right. And I don't I know. Mean, the, the biggest thing, I guess, in my eyes is like c- controlling the panic, you know, because that's, that's was the biggest thing from, you know, March, April, you know, it's, it's just like, if you step on Twitter for five minutes, it's just a frenzied panic. You know, the, all of America, all of the whole world is, is freaking out um, because we've never experienced something at, at this level where it's been, you know, you know, shutting down schools and things like that. We haven't experienced that in this generation. So, mm-hmm. um, man, it, I, I will say like, yeah, there's, there, it's, it's about being smart about, you know, going forward. But again, like there's, there's a lot of unknowns in, I mean, in my own life and, and, you know, looking forward to my own wrestling season and there's just a lot of unknowns. Um, but obviously I would love to be like, yep, we're going back to wrestling season and, and things are going back to normal, but that, you know, that's probably not the case. Um, yep. but, and, for, and for you, your next event is probably going to be in October, right? Ames, Iowa, the senior, what is that? The, the, the world team trials, Olympic trials, what is it going to be? It, it would be... So that's the fun part is as of right now, it is basically senior nationals. Um, and so it's just going to be a kind of a, a tournament to get everybody back into the swing of things and, you know, get moving again. However, there is a chance with, or at least last I heard, I don't know too much out of it, but last I heard there were still talks of trying to make a 2020 world championships uh, sometime Whoa. in December. Whoa. That's yeah. That's like right now that seems extremely ambitious. Yes. So there are talks, there is, um, some criteria that has, that has to be met before it goes through with it. But if that does move forward, um, then that tournament in October becomes a 2020 world team qualifier Mm. because that's the only tournament we'd have to figure out a world team for 2020. Now, would you know, would you know it going into it? Like, would they say, all right, this is the qualifier or would they just or would this be something decided afterwards, closer to December? Uh, it should be known going in. I just don't know how far in advance we would know. And frankly, I don't even know if a decision has been made yet. I've kind of been um, kind of put on the back burner just because I wanted to focus on my own training and just kind of, you know what, just tell me what the decision is when the decision is made. I don't right. really be part of all these different talks. Just yeah. tell me what the decision is. I'm tired of, you know, 
just because with COVID and everything, you kind of, you need, you have to, you have to make the adjustments as information comes in. And I'm to the point now where I've, I don't want to get my hopes up one way or the other. So just tell me the information as it comes and we'll move forward. So once the decision's made, then we'll figure it out. But until that point, I'm just going to train the way I can type thing. Right. And so, so you're doing a, I don't want to say like at home, but like a, a modified training situation. Um, what does that look like for you? Are you, how much, um, how much, how many liberties are you taking with your own training compared to um, where you, you were in the, in the big facility over there in Ann Arbor? I mean, um, kind of 50, 50, um, still dealing with a little bit of structure, uh, you know, by email, by phone call, all that stuff of, you know, coaches kind of telling us, you know, Hey, you know, be make sure you're working on this stuff, this stuff, yada, yada, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit of coach contact, but at the same time, also making sure that I'm really taking, um, ownership of my own training, um, right after everything got shut down. Um, uh, I recently got married, so we ended up, thank you. Yeah, actually February 29th. So right before everything, right before everything shut down, but, uh, the wife and I went back to my parents' place. I grew up on a farm. Mm -hmm. So I figured rather than living in my apartment in Ann Arbor, it was a lot easier to find heavy objects to lift on the farm. Right. So I was working on farm, farm work and, uh, I found an old telephone pole that I was doing stuff with. Uh, my dad had some old, uh, some really old weights that I cleaned off and started using those. So we kind of did that type of training um, at that point. And then once things started to open up a little bit um, back here in Ipsy, that's when I made the transition back over to start working on that stuff. And we found like a, you know, an old mat. So um, some mat space that we can work out on. So mm-hmm. we're doing that, um, you know, with just, you know, a couple guys just to try to keep the, keep everything fresh and, you know, still trying to do the weight training and that type of stuff. So there's a little bit of structure, but at the same time, there's a lot of just keeping ownership of your own training at this point. Mm. So, and, and do you feel like you're going to be prepared come October? Yeah, I'll find a way. That's right. that's the biggest takeaway that you got to get from this is, you know, you have to make the adjustments and you got to find a way. I've been doing a lot more mental training now than I have ever been able to just because I had a lot more time on my hands to do that type of stuff. So mm. you, you have to find the way to train in, in different ways. I'm much better conditioned than I have ever been because I've been running, shoot, three, four miles every couple of days just to keep the cardio up and, you know, just doing – doing whatever you can. So is my technique going to be as great in October as it was, you know, in Canada? No, but I'm going to be, you know, a different, you know, a different animal on the mat. Right. And it's just got to make the adjustments as is everybody. They're yeah. just trying to figure it out. <laughs> and, and not letting quarantine be the excuse. Right. Yes. And like, like, you know, making sure, you know, do whatever you can, right. And be ready and not let it be the excuse. So you mentioned, uh, a couple of minutes back, you grew up on a farm. So, so Adam, here's my question. You know, who are you? Where are you from? Where did you grow up? You know, l- little mini bio on, on Adam Kuhn. All right. So um, I grew up in a small farming community in Fallerville, Michigan. Um, I believe the last census that went through the total population was 2000 people. <laughs> um, so yeah, so nice small town somewhere along those lines. Everybody knows everybody there type thing. Um, gave you an idea of how small the community is about, I think a quarter of the students skipped 
uh, school when Walmart got put in. So <laughs> this is the type of stuff we do. Um, <laughs> senior year, all the seniors will drive tractors to school on their last day of class. I also was one of them. Nice. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Had a little front loader and a dump trail in the back and brought a bunch <laughs> of friends over to Hayride. It was great. <laughs> oh, my word. Yep. So I born and raised Fallerville, um, grew up in the same spot, was lucky enough to never have to move or have to go through that. Um, my dad was a, um, we wrestled in college and ended up uh, coaching at, at various different high schools and ended up coaching at Fallerville High School. Uh, my mom was a teacher at the neighboring school and then has re- recently transferred over to Fallerville. So we've all been in the Fallerville School District. Um Actually, my first competition that I was ever in was soccer. And then I transitioned. I mean, I was always on the mat. I was a, you know, my dad would always bring me into the wrestling practices and stuff. But I was never, I wasn't allowed to compete until a little bit later because I couldn't figure out how to stay on the mat for longer than five minutes without crying. (laughs) So, (laughs) excellent. um, yeah, so I was, uh, I was not a very tough kid. Um, So we, Worked worked through that, and I finally got to start competing um, in wrestling. I later quit soccer and uh, started doing uh, football in about fourth grade, moved on to track in junior high, and then was a three-sport athlete all through high school, and absolutely loved it. I loved um, just being active. Didn't have uh, much of a social life just because I was always um, in some sort of sport, so sport was my social life, so I kind of just grew up around sport and everything, so. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, my summers and winters really were taken up by sport or farm work. Um, we had an outdoor wood burner. So most of my winters, I would go to a wrestling tournament and then on Sunday I would be out in the, out in the woods somewhere, chopping wood, mm. um, and loading it up, loading up in the trailers and getting, uh, you know, every couple of weeks, making sure we had another load for, to keep the house heated. And then in the uh, summers, we did, uh, you know, we did hay for the cattle. So uh, most of my summers were spent uh, baling hay. So I didn't have, you know, between those and, um, you know, sport, not much of a social life there, but. (laughs) Hey, it's fine, dude. Um, Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so your dad was a wrestling coach. Um, And you grew up in a small community. How many of, you know, that, those 2000 people, uh, how, how big was the, how many kids wrestled? You know, how many, how big was your club or where you trained Uh, at? So we had, I mean, we probably had about 30 guys competing um, in high school on the team, give or take a few. Uh, We had a couple of years where we could get up to 40, but um, some of the years we were down only about 25 or so. But um, so we had that many, that many guys competing there. Uh, From the club standpoint, we're probably looking at maybe 20 guys when we, probably 10 to 15 when we first started because we first started the club when I was in like junior high type or middle school to junior high. And then we kind of grew up to probably about 20, 30 kids. Um, and then obviously in the springtime, a lot of the high schoolers would join the club at that point to wrestle freestyle and Greco. So then the club would get a little bit bigger about then, but how, how much did you um, weigh as you know, youth and junior, early junior high kid? So I remember competing at Fargo eighth grade at 189. Um, that was a nasty cut. And then I remember in high school, my first year was 215. I was weighing about two, 205. Do you have a lot of partners? I had, see my freshman year, I worked out a lot with the 89 pounder. 
Um, so pretty much that was the only partner I had. And then we had a guy transfer in from the neighboring school who was pretty much the exact same size as me. Um, so we were great training partners together. And then once I bumped up to heavyweight my junior year, um, he stayed down at 215. And we were still training partners because I wasn't a big heavyweight at that point. I was still, I mean, I graduated college, or sorry, graduated high school still about 240. So mm. it wasn't, wasn't too big. when. Yeah, you definitely uh, didn't graduate it. college weighing 240. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I put on a little weight in college. <laughs> how, much, how much do you weigh right now? If I set that scale right now, it'd probably be about 295. Whoa. Yeah. That's pretty big. Um, man. Yeah. Okay, Adam, when did you first get introduced to Freestyle and Greco? Oh, I'm pretty sure my first first matches were Freestyle and Greco. I'm pretty sure oh. my first match ever competing was Greco. And, and I remember why is that? when I was a little kid, I'd always uh, – just happened when I, you know, when I could stop crying for five minutes. <laughs> 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 that was the – the rain, the time era that we could start competing at. It just happened to be. Ah, so, um, yeah, I still remember as a kid, like I would ask my dad, all right, is this the one where I need to get up from bottom or do I stay down on bottom? <laughs> and you go, you stay down on bottom. Okay. <laughs> is this when I can grab legs or not grab legs? <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you had a good, good understanding of the sport essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just the bare basics. Bare basics. <laughs> Man, and uh Yep, I was going uh, for body locks and headlocks. That's it. <laughs> that's it. And did you find did you find success early on or no? No. Not at all. I spent shoot, probably a couple of years before I actually won a match. I won a lot of tournaments by no one showing up, but I didn't win any matches for a long time. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. So um did you when did you make the transition to like um, being more self-motivated in your wrist. Yeah, I had to say, uh, well, the first part of the motivation came from, uh, the bribery portion. Um, we would go to tournaments and my, well, my dad would come out and, Hey, you want to go to a tournament? Uh, I don't know. Well, <laughs> if you go to go to this tournament and make weight, we'll go and get McDonald's afterwards. Ooh, okay, I'll go. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. So, so it started out as just like a bribery to get me into the tournaments and stuff. And then uh, once I started um, getting a few wins under my belt and um, starting to kind of understand a little bit more what wrestling was, um, it came more of a, hey, do you want to compete in this tournament or do you want to compete in this one? Knowing that, hey, you need to compete in two tournaments to make to be able to qualify for regionals or you know all these different things. So it was kind of a progression of, you know, let's go to this one, let's go to this one to, hey, you're going to wrestle if you want to, if you don't want to wrestle, then don't wrestle type thing. Um, and that came a little bit later once I started kind of understanding what it meant to compete versus train winning, losing and how to accept both, you know, that type of stuff. So I had to go a few years of let's go get McDonald's before I could really understand, you know, what, what competition actually is for, you know what I mean? And that's interesting because um, when I was a kid, similar to you, I hated wrestling so much, so, so much. I would cry on the way to practice. I'd cry during practice. I'd cry on the way home. And it wasn't that I was, I don't even know what I was scared of, but like there was something about wrestling that was so like appalling to me that like, if I get like, you know, even like the thought of it would like bring me to tears and, and all the way up through like junior high, like even like I, I would get better and better and better. Cause my dad would just make me 
right? And he, and he bribed me and things like that. Uh, but I didn't like it. I didn't like that I was getting better. And, um, and like, you know, up until even like my freshman year of high school is when I, I really like had like a, like a, a switch flipped in my head. But um, that's funny that you say bribe because that's how my dad would incentivize me is yep. Pokemon cards. So he would okay. go to a tournament and he would, you know, if, if I got a win or depending on how many matches I would have and then how many wins I would have at the tournament, it'd be like one or two Pokemon cards a match or something like that. <laughs> I'd go home and he would put them in a, in a paper bag and I would draw them out of the paper bag. So I don't even know what I was like getting at the time. And I got nothing. I got horrible cards the whole time, but it did motivate me. Cause I was like, Oh man, if I win this match, maybe I'll get that. Maybe I'll get that Pokemon. I was, I was looking for, but that's hilarious. It is pretty funny. <laughs> so, so Adam, you, you were, you know, first of all, very, you know, competitive wrestler through high school. And then on top of that, you're doing two other sports and then you have farm work and then you have, you know, your academics, which you take very seriously. That's a lot. And especially at a very young age, you know, through junior high, through high school, um, you know, and, and maturity like that doesn't, you know, it's, you know, it's not very common, right? Um, how did you, you come into that sense of maturity? How did you come into that sense of self-motivation? Um, not only on the mat, but, you know, track and field, football, academics. Um, and, and how can you direct other people to, to find a sense of self-motivation? Oh boy. That's um, a big question. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot to that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost, you know, thanking my parents, they're the ones that really raised me to kind of take pride in what I do. Hmm. Um, and just the, you know, no matter what I do, I'm going to put in my best effort. Um, they always, um, they were always very, um, you know, they demanded that I had full effort, but they didn't exactly um, push for the results, if that makes sense. Right. So they wanted to make sure that I was being, um, that I was giving everything I had, no matter what I did. Um, but if I got a C in class, but if I lost a match, they were never angry. They were anything as long as I put in my best effort. I remember having a lot of conversations with my dad on the ride back home. I would, I would be winning matches and we would both be having a talk about how my effort was poor and how I wasn't, you know, doing the right thing. And I'm thinking, I just won. Like, why are you mad at me? <laughs> so that was always instilled to have, you know, pride in my work. Um, whether it's competing, whether it's, um, you know, in the classroom or, you know, on the, on the farm, you know, I'm making sure that I'm putting in the effort um, and realizing that everything is kind of going to be connected. You know, one's work in the mind, one's work in body, just develop you into a better human. Um, and just kind of instilling that, that hard work will pay off. So that's kind of where I was, I was raised as, and that's kind of just, what I went with. That's kind of all I knew was, you know, work hard and, you know, things will work out. That's kind of just what I went with. So I was always pushing myself to see how, what is my full effort? You know, I figured today, this is my full effort, but full effort. So how far can I push that until, you know, it's either too much or I, grow or you know whatever the case may be so it was just those talks of you you didn't pull in your full, full effort today but you know that's just kind of where it came from i don't really know how that stuck per se but just 
that's just kind of how I always went for it was the, you got to give, give everything. And, and for someone who is growing up and maybe a child listening to this and they don't necessarily have that self-motivation because, you know, if we're being honest, self-motivation isn't something that, you know, just happens. You know, there's very, very right. few people who are, who are naturally self-motivated and those people are successful people because, you know, that's what it takes to be a successful person is self-motivation. So, um, you know, how do you suggest for someone who maybe lacks self-motivation, how, how can you suggest instilling that? Or, you know, a father wants his son to be a little more self-motivated. How do you suggest that instilling that? Oh, um, really one of the ways that I get, um, probably the best way to be setting goals you know, the lofty goals, it's all the intermediate goals in between. It's going to take some time to sit down and really think about, you know, what you want in life, what you want to achieve, what are the things that you want to, you know, accomplish. Uh, my, I've always, you know, strive by, here's my big three goals that I'm reaching for the stars for. Um, there is, you know, Olympic gold medalist uh, playing in the NFL and becoming an astronaut. These are the lofty goals uh, that, you know, as you know, I'm striving, I'm pushing, those are the end goals. If I, you know, get those, you know, then I'll be, you know, happy. But, um, but that's the, that's the big reaching for the stars goals you want. Okay. So take a step back. What are some steps you can do to, um, get to that? And then you kind of, all right, what are some steps I need to get to that? And then what are steps? And you kind of work your way down to the lowest level goals of, all right, what do I need to do this week? Or what do I need to do today? to start, start the process of getting to that goal. Cause the realization of you won't make one giant leap to get to that goal. It is small steps and just keep moving forward. Um, kind of chugging along. So one of the things I do a lot is, I mean, I have a planner with me. Um, I map out what I want to accomplish each week, each day. And again, part of it is just the motivation to be able to do that. So I don't really know where that comes from, but that's, that's the best thing I can get is how to be helping self-motivated is giving yourself a plan, giving yourself a goal. And I prefer the pen and paper because there's satisfaction to scratching right. things off. <laughs> there's yeah. a satisfaction to that rather than just checking it off on your phone. So I use the pen and paper to, mm. you know, I can circle this, I can make notes, I can cross things off when I get things accomplished. Um, I go through so many pads of paper, I just on to-do lists and all these different things. So that's, that's the biggest thing I found helping me as well as help to keep my priorities straight as well as help my uh, prioritization of time, um, especially when I was in college when I was dealing with athletics and sports and all these different things. I'd have to keep a calendar of, all right, what are my obligations at this time, this time, and I basically map out everything. So I'm a very big believer on mapping out and trying to come up with a plan at all times. Uh, but again, you know, be willing think on the fly as well and you know do that type of stuff but i know it's really not helpful in terms of someone who's not already self-motivated right <laughs> that's, the, that's the best i can come up with it's just really just the, the they have those goals because everybody has dreams everybody has dreams of what they want to go where they want to accomplish and just realizing the fact that you will not accomplish your dream all in one go mm. you need to take the steps to put yourself in the position to accomplish that dream so that's what the goals are so really have the, you know, the heart to heart, the sit down and think of what is it that I really want in life and what are some 
real steps that it will take to get to that dream. Hmm. And then keeping that in the forefront of your mind. Yeah. Uh, Adam, do you, uh, do you journal at all? Do you, do you ha- keep a journal or a, a diary? A little bit. I do a little bit. I have, uh, um, I kind of keep two separate journals. Uh, one is more just for my kind of own personal thing of like when negativity strikes or if I'm feeling great or just kind of personal stuff, I just kind of write it all down. And then I keep like a separate one that's um, a little more business type stuff of like, here's what I've been you know working on. This is how I feel during these times. Um, this is what I ate. This um, this is, you know, do not eat prior to competition because I felt terrible when I'm competing, you know, that type of like business stuff of, yeah. you know, trainings. Here are some different workouts that I'm thinking of. Here's some, um, both of them uh, end up being pretty spiritual as well because um, I keep my Bible studies in both of them and, um, you know, that type of stuff. But do I write in them all the time? No, I would like to probably it a little more consistent but um i i keep them but don't use them too much mm. Mm. okay adam um what was the the first big tournament you ever competed in something like you know like a, like a big tournament um probably the um i mean i had a couple couple tournaments like the the state meet at for like youth state meet in Michigan is, you know, pretty large. Um, we got a lot of kids that compete during that time. So there was a lot competing then. It was probably my first big one, but the absolute monster was competing. Oh, mm. I'd say that one. <laughs> wow. Okay. And how old were you? How old were you? So um, the kids state ones, I never really uh, got into until, you know, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. But then Fargo, I actually, you know, competing in that one um, in eighth grade was my first year out there. Wow, eighth grade. And so you're an eighth grade kid, you know, small town, uh, and you're at, you know, you're in the Fargo Dome and there's thousands of people there, thousands and thousands of people. What was that like for you? Um, and do you, do, you, do, you have, do you have any, do you ever look back on this time? Do you have any recollection of, of you know, looking up and you're seeing thousands of people and, and whatever, how many mats there are and, what was that like for you? Yeah, my probably the best thing that happened to me um, on that one was we found an open door and we snuck into the arena um, prior to it being open my first time there. Mm. And it allowed me to just get in and just take a look at how big it was and how many mats there were and kind of yeah. that whole in all moment out of the way the day prior. So mm. when it actually came to competing – I could keep my head down and just work through, you know, what I needed to accomplish at that point. And that's a memory that has stuck with me every time that I go to um, a new place, a new event, anything like that. One of my like pre-match rituals per se that I always did in college was I would, as soon as I entered the arena, I would go and look at the competition arena and I would make sure I was looking up. I always wanted to see all the stands and the vastness of how great the arena or wherever we were competing. And then once I got that out of my system, I'd go back to the locker room and then I would change and then get ready for my match. And I would make sure to never look in the stands again because oh. I got that initial awe moment out of the way 
And then once I get to the mat side, I am wrestling this guy on this mat and nothing else matters. Mm. Adam, talk about your experience in making the, the 2011 Fila Cadet team. Um, and, and, and was that your first time competing overseas? Yeah, so that was my first first time uh, competing overseas, first time ever leaving the United States. Wow. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Every time that I've left the United States has been for wrestling of some kind. So that's pretty much it. I don't, I've only been to like three or four states outside, oh. like three or four states on personal oh, uh, yeah. rather than uh, wrestling related. So I've been all over the country, a lot of different uh, countries due to wrestling, but in terms of just everyday life, I hardly ever travel. So oh, man. wrestling's great. That gets you out. But, yeah. uh, 2011, um, going through the process, I don't remember too much of the process to get, um, onto the team other than the fact of, I just remember having to wrestle, um, the tournament and ended up beating, um, a couple guys that were, um, that were tough. I can't remember who it was, but I know there's a couple guys there that I had to beat that were, um, that I had lost to previously. So I remember that being big. Mm. Um, now, was it freestyle? Did you make the freestyle and the Greco team? Or I did. I did. Oh I made both the freestyle and the Greco. So I remember back-to-back um, wrestling in Akron with while well, universities were going. Is that how that works? Mm-hmm. I think so. Be universities in Fila. Yeah, Fila Cadets would be with universities, I believe. Yeah. But, yeah. So I remember winning that and then – yeah, made the team. Uh, that was fun because we had to uh, – both teams worked out of Colorado Springs. This is my first time at the Springs. So that was a great experience too, just to uh, see the Springs. And, you know, it's a, it's a great thing when you first get there to, again, seeing the sights and do all this touristy stuff, but also yeah. training alongside all the other Olympians. And it was just it was just really cool. And what was really nice was both of the teams were working out – at, there at the same time. When I later made the field of junior teams, they were in two separate locations. So it made it a little more difficult. But in 2011, they were both there and Greco guys were working out in the morning and the freestyle guys were working out in the afternoon. So I was making like double duty practices and there was occasionally I would miss a Greco practice to do a freestyle and, you know, vice versa. So I was kind of splitting time between the two. And then freestyle competed first because Hungary takes their Greco extremely seriously. So Greco is the premier event in Hungary. So they made that one the last day. So freestyle competed first. And um, I remember going through the tournament. I remember uh, my semifinals and finals matched pretty well. And uh, I remember I had Iran in the semis, and he was just an absolute brick house. Mm. Would would not move. I ended up beating him 1-0-1-0 because that was back in the day where you had to win best two out of three periods. Beat him one oh one oh both on push outs because he wasn't doing anything and I was just gonna push. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yep. And then I ended up pinning my guy in the finals from Georgia, um, Petrosvili, um, who is now a you know world champ and everything. Really? He's the yeah, he's the one I had in the finals. Ended up pinning Whoa. him there. <laughs> this is after he launched me. <laughs> a so he couple t- times. He chucks you and then you you finally Oh man, that's sick. Yeah, so this is Opening sequence, he hits a blast double from just launches me off my feet. <laughs> and like athletically, I somehow twist and turn 
where he hit me from the center of the circle and we both are out of bounds and I landed on my belly. Like somehow no way. got out of the way. So he had the one push out. Just one. Yep. And then we go again and he catches it right and puts me right to my back. Um, same blast double and everything. Puts me right to my back. Again, out of bounds. So that's three points at this point. Um, so I'm down four zero and a tech is six. Oh, what? Six? It was only six. That's- yes. <laughs> So I'm down 4-0, wow. and I remember looking over my corner, and this is what I love. So my dad actually got to make the trip with me. So he oh, actually is sitting second seat um, with uh, Zadik. And um, <laughs> I still remember him screaming from the corner, are you ready yet? <laughs> <laughs> sure enough, he goes to the same blast double. I dropped, got him in a cow catcher, lifted him, and threw him in a hip toss. Nice! <laughs> Oh my yep. gosh. Wow. Yeah. So I was, I was getting launched. I was getting pummeled. <laughs> wow. And then you cow catcher, you know, just like eighth grade. Just, Pretty much. How old were you then? 2011. Uh, so 2011 would be my junior year of high school. No way. Yep. That's crazy. Okay. Now for that, for that, you know, you, you were the freestyle and the Greco. Um, yep. Were there any other kids on who made both teams? No, I was the only guy. Okay. Did you get any sort of, could you tell if there's any sort of special treatment or um, were the coaches give you any sort of attention because, you know, you were, like you said, you were training freestyle and then you would, or excuse me, you would wrestle Greco and then you'd stay for the freestyle practice. Um, you're doing a lot more than the other kids who are competing. Uh, did you sense any sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe extra obligation from the coaches or anything like that? There wasn't really any sort of special treatment other than the coaches had to talk together to figure out what workouts I had to be at at what time. Um, just to make sure of like, Hey, we're going over these certain techniques that he really needs to work on at this point. How about he skips the Greco practice today and works with the freestyle guys. And then tomorrow he can go with the Greco guys instead and work on this stuff. So that was the only sort of special treatment that I got was just the coaches had to communicate to figure out what workouts I needed to be at and everything. And mm. wasn't going to get any special treatment from the guys. Cause you know, right. from the guy's perspective, they knew that I was working out, but at the same time, I'm not working out with them. So yeah. it looks like a guy's missing some practice. So, you know, you, you kind of have to play that one um, hesitantly. And I definitely wasn't getting any special treatment from uh, the field officials or the hotel management. <laughs> <laughs> so the funny part about that, so freestyle wrestled first and then moves to Greco. So Greco is in, so freestyle is leaving that day. And Greco's coming in to take over those, um, you know, those rooms. So we go to Greco practice to, um, cause it's three days in between. So we have a couple days to kind of get acclimated and, you know, move over to Greco. Mm-hmm. So while I'm out of practice for that first day after, uh, the freestyle worlds, they actually came in and completely cleaned out my room. The, the staff. <laughs> The staff, I, everything was completely gone. I actually went back. My key, for some reason, still worked. Opened the door, and there's two Turks sleeping in the bed. I was like, this is, what the, what is going on? I was so confused. So I went down to the desk manager, like, oh, we didn't realize that you were still here. Um, your stuff is out back in a dumpster. What? They just threw it away? Yeah. So I had to go digging through a dumpster, find the one trash bag that actually had all my clothes in it, pull that back out. <laughs> And then find my new room that I had to get to and all that other stuff. So, That's, yeah, yeah. What that the heck? Yeah, it was great. <laughs> That's absurd. Oh, my word. 
That's crazy. So that's that was kind of the next question. Like I was like, what's kind of over, crazy overseas shenanigans happening? Oh, that's just like, one you, of them. You hear like <laughs> like there's some like wild things that happen overseas. Oh yeah, bizarre. Oh my yeah. gosh. I was over in Mexico. We had you know lost baggage that type of stuff. That right. uh, one of the one of the guys got his stuff as he was heading over to the arena to compete. Um, <laughs> yeah, so just got that. Um, Twenty fourteen coming back from the worlds um they lost lost my bags and i had to get them later um but definitely probably the craziest one was that getting all my stuff thrown out and of course part of that was my um my duffel bag which i had my metal hidden in so of course my gold medal is in the garbage yeah. can <laughs> oh man oh man oh who was it someone someone uh there's a story of some wrestler losing his, his olympic gold medal um I can't remember who it is though, but I have heard this story or it's, it might be a world gold medal, but he just lost it and it just never found it. And he's like, yes. going, through his, going through his bag. And he's like, it's not here. <laughs> and that does it for the first part of the Adam Kuhn interview. Part two is up right now. Go check it out.